Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. people to speak. Spontaneous testimonies, as long as I'm pastor, are always welcome. I just think that that's God inhabiting the praises of his people. I really do. And that's biblical. So I just want you to know that that's always welcome. We are here today, by way of introduction, we are here today to celebrate what I call Patriotic Sunday. It is a Sunday that surrounds and is closest to the 4th of July, as in the first one, the last one before the 4th of July. I think I, there we go. Let me move this up. I was told I'm not on. Is that better, folks? Can I, can I ask that? Okay, that's fine. I want them to hear. We are here on Patriotic Sunday, the Sunday immediately before the 4th of July. And as I think about this Sunday, I think of freedom. I think of liberty. I think of the thing that God gave us in our country and what we have here is the freedom to assemble together without fear of the KGB or anybody else barging through and taking us all to prison. In China, if they find a Bible in a a group of people, just one Bible, all go to prison. We are blessed. The year was 1917. America had been drawn into the conflict of World War I. After a history of attacking civilian ships out of uh, belligerence and refusal to cease and desist of the aggression, the German government sent what was called the Zimmerman Telegram. This is a bit of a history, and that was to the government of Mexico. In that telegram, the German government promised and implicated that they would support Mexico for regaining the territory that the American uh, had taken in the American-Mexican War if Mexico would support them. It was highly indicated that Germany was about to attack or so, uh, uh, the United States as well, and that just shouldn't, couldn't be allowed. They had already been many ships lost, many lives lost. From the law known as the anti-piracy law, Wilson had put military personnel and military equipment on civilian ships to try to protect our people and our ships. And at that point, everything else went downhill. The Zimmerman telegram implicated we are about to go to war with Germany. And Germany was the one that was about to declare war on us. Over the next 19 months following that declaration of war, our most precious possessions of our boys and even some women who were not in a combat situation were lost. Germ warfare had been revisited and had been expanded and exploded upon the scene. Trench warfare was one of the mantras of World War I Trenches were dug, soldiers were there, and they fought in the germs of what was in the trenches as well as the germs of deceased body as well as the germ warfare that had been waged and laid out on us. Finally, though, in 1918, November 11, and after an estimated 16 million people had died worldwide, World War I was finally O-V-E-R, over. We brought our boys and girls home. 
but the aftermath was only just beginning. Biological warfare was now the way that we had to protect ourselves. Germany had used it as a deterrent for themselves and against the Allied forces. They built on what had been discovered by the agents, especially of the Chinese, and started using it without remorse. Now to counter the threat of Germany and any other country of an unfriendly that would attack with uh, biological warfare, other countries had to develop it, and we still have that today. The Spanish flu came into reality. It was not a Spanish flu virus, that was, but it was what was discovered by Spain and published about by Spain. It was a result of the germ warfare that the Americans brought back to them, in them, with them, that they did not know. And then it spread across America and around the world. An estimated 50 million people died. And ladies and gentlemen, that represented 20% of the world's known population. Does that not throw things into perspective about COVID? COVID, to date, according to World Health Organization, there have been an estimated 768,200,000 people who have contracted it, with an estimated 6,945,800 deaths as of June, or 0 0.00904, less than just a little bit more than nine-tenths of one percent deaths. I had to talk to two people who knew math. Thank you both. I didn't get all of that, but they did. It was an H1N1 on both the Spanish flu and us from China. Both came from that virus. The Spanish flu would start as a rapid onset of a sore throat, fever, and not feeling well. It would subside somewhat, and then it would come back with a thunder and kill people. They called it the Blue Death. Why that is is because they didn't know really how to characterize it like we do. It would attack the respiratory system, affect your breathing, make your lungs not do well, and then you would die and turn blue or purple. And sometimes they even called it the Purple Death. <clears throat> then the Roaring Twenties happened. Moral failure, videos, and silent movies of the risque nature that laid the groundwork for what we now call pornography. Progressive politics were instituted. The theme, after all, we deserve it. We've come World War, through World War I. We ought to get it. The government owes us. What is not known much is that Wilson and Coolidge and others tried to rein it in, but they were unsuccessful. And the Roaring Twenties developed and then led to a thundering prosperity of when a president of President Hoover was inaugurated. It was called the Hoover bull market, and then suddenly it collapsed incredibly, as you may remember. The stock market crash, 12% loss in one day. And a lot of things that are not generally known is people saw it thundering when Hoover came in. They sold all of their assets, they got the money, they put it into the stock market, and then the stock market crashed, and they lost it all. Overinflated shares, increased bank loans that could not be paid back, overproduction and underselling, meaning they had businesses lost millions of dollars. Sound familiar? Increased interest rates, sound familiar? And then panic selling of businesses and stocks, which created more of a phenomenon that became what we call the Great Depression. It did not happen instantly, it did not happen overnight. 
What was not known and not reported much was that it started to make a decent rebound and then it crashed again. And then the Great Depression, in essence, lasted for 10 long years. Food lines, work lines, there were no social programs. FDR started the New Deal, which laid the groundwork of a lot of the programs we have today. Failed businesses, poor health and health care, increased crime, people were stealing just to provide food for their families. Desperation, depression, people who were filthy rich suddenly became absolute broke and suicides were rampant. Across the ocean, Germany was taking advantage of this. They were letting the world become more involved in what was going on with the Great Depression and they started attacking and annexing and conquering. The world remained non-committed. No one wanted to get into another war given the world had just finished World War I. Expansion, persecution, prisoners, and torture became the reality. Hitler rose to power, and from that, the concentration camps against the Jewish people, as you may well remember. They became death camps. It has been said on many, many things that I read this week that often when they would number them to go into the death camps and into the gas chambers, adults would go in and take the number for the children and die in their place. Many of the people never saw their loved ones ever again. The idea was why? Where are the allies? Where is God in allowing all of this to happen? We have heard a lot of that, where is God and why in our country today. Let me assure you, God is still on the throne. He has not forgotten. He has not lost power. He has not lost interest and he still knows what's going on. FDR began the groundwork and then we began to see a, a slow rebuilding Many have said that if we had not ended up in World War I and in terms of supplying military materials, we would not have rebounded from the World War, from the, uh, um, for World War II rather, we would not have rebounded from the Great Depression. FDR would verbally warn Germany, just like Wilson had, and Germany ignored it. Then of course, as you may remember, it happened. December 7, 1941, as it has been said, a date which will live in infamy. The Japanese Air Force attacked with a vengeance like no other. They wiped out pretty much our entire Pacific fleet and they crippled us like no other country had ever been crippled to that point and we lost more people on our sovereign soil slash protectorate slash where we were at than any other time until 9-11 and the attack on the World Trade Center. Roosevelt went to Congress and on December 8, war was declared. We became the last bastion of hope for the Great Britain and France. France would fall, Dunkirk would happen, and people were evacuated, but the war raged on. War raged on until 1945 when Truman dropped the A-bomb and in essence, that helped to bring a much quicker resolution to the war. And yet before that A-bomb, D-Day, D-Day. American, British, Canadian, and other forces decided that it was time to quit being wussy about it and start going on the attack. And they went and landed on the beach of Normandy. One record I read said that the forces who were pinned down as well as the people that were feeling very attacked, 
Where are the allies? Where are they? They saw the ocean begin to turn dark. They didn't know what was going on. They thought it was more German ships. And then suddenly they saw the flags. They saw the flags of each nation on each ship that was coming. They saw their deliverance. It has been said that one who had, a, as my wife calls it, my big mouth, had a big voice, started screaming out, look, we are not forgotten. We are being rescued. We will be free. We will go home. Those who sailed those boats, those who came to, in those ships, those who held those rifles did not know, did not understand they were not only soldiers, but they were the deliverance. They were the deliverance. They were free and being made free to go home. The Allies brought 7 million tons of supplies and over 450,000 tons of ammunition alone. They were not going in partially. They were going in full force. Aside from love, two of the most precious words that are four-letter words that we have are these, free and home. Free and home. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke of this very thing. Jesus spoke. Jesus tells us in John 14, 1 through 3, he was speaking to those who chose to follow him every day. He was speaking to those who followed him, not just because of what they could get, but because they were following him. He was speaking to them to prepare them, to tell them, and to commission them to be the church that he wanted them to be and would be looking for when, not if, Jesus returns. When his forces come from glory and we see them and then we can say we are free to go home. Jesus spoke this in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. I want to read that to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you will be also. And I will come again to receive you unto myself. Jesus spoke of this liberty, this freedom, this deliverance, this D-Day that we can have and must have. If we are to see our own D-Day, our own deliverance day, someday, there are many who will debate of when. There are many discussions of will it be a pre-tribulation rapture, i.e., will Jesus come back, take the church out, or at least catch them away, and then have the tribulation? There are others who will say, well, it's happened sometime in the middle because people are dying in there. And it'll happen sometime in the middle. There are others who say it's post-tribulation rapture because people are dying there. There are others who say it's after the millennium because it says only one coming of Jesus. Here's what this pastor says. I'm not going to get on the when, but the whenever. Jesus is coming again. I do not want to get into splits. I will discuss it with anybody, not in a pulpit. But I will tell you this. One day, Jesus is going to split the eastern skies. He's going to get on his great white steed. We are going to see the flags of heaven, and we are going to be taken home if we are ready. Jesus spoke of this. One such two such passages, one in Matthew 24 and one in Matthew 25, speak of this in terms of a wedding. 
<clears throat> the interesting thing there is this. When a wedding happened, there had to be at least a year in between the proposal and the wedding. The groom-to-be would walk up to his hope bride-to-be and give her a chalice with new wine, pure wine. She would take that. She would look at it. She would consider it. And if she drank it, that means she accepted the proposal. From that point on, there was a, at least a year in between. What they would do, the groom would go back, he would work, he would build a place for them to live, almost always on the place of where his parents were. She, in the meantime, would prepare. She would come up with money. She would get ready for the wedding. She would do her bridesmaid's dresses, as well as her bridesmaids. She would get her wedding dress. They would get ready. They would have lamps. They would have oil. They would have wicks. They would be waiting because they did not know when the groom would come. But here's something else. The groom did not know when he would come until the father said, go. Our topics for this sermon is this. Free to go home. Our D-Day to heaven. Our sermon in a sentence is this. This can be our D-Day today. For someday, not if, but when, Jesus returns. I do not know what you're battling in your spiritual life. I do not know what you're battling in your emotional life. I do not know all that you're battling in your physical life. But I do know this. Jesus is still there. He can help us live this victorious life in the spirit-filled life of the holiness life on this day, on this time, and from this point forward so that when he comes, our D-Day will be able to occur for us with him. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. It's too long to put on the uh, overhead, so I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, take your phones, take whatever device you want to use, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to get that, and especially those who are out there in Internet land. I want you to get something what you can read, either your computer at home or something, and I will be reading it as well. Matthew 25, starting with verse 1, and it says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. I want to pause there. There are many who say because there's a 50-50 and many comparisons that half of those who claim to be the church are not going to make it. I do not know that. I'm just saying, be sure, be true, be real, and be the church. When, verse 3, when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the sensible ones, I like that word sensible in this translation. A one-eyed man with half a sense can see perfectly clear that you need to take oil, as my grandmother would say. You need to take oil. The sensible ones took oil and flasks with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6, in the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here comes the groom. Come out to meet him. Verse 7, then all the virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. They, but the foolish ones said to the sensible one, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are gone out. We'll come to that. Verse 9, the sensible ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. 
Get your own relationship. Prepare your own life. Don't depend on me to be your dependency of being ready. Verse 10, when they had gone to buy some, then the groom arrived. Then those who were ready, powerful, went in to meet with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Verse 11, later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up to us. Knock, knock, knock. Come on, open the door. But he replied, I assure you, I don't even know you. In verse 13, be alert, therefore, because you do not know either the day or the hour. We could spend a month of Sundays here. I will try to cover four points this morning. The first thing that we can find that, the, that we find in this passage that I want to share with you is this. The true church must be the pure church. 25.1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. That's powerful. That is important. They were already virgins. The ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom uh, because they were virgins and they were waiting in purity and waiting for the groom to come. Are we waiting in purity of heart, of life, of affection, of addictions for the day Jesus comes, not if, but when? Have we been made pure? Have we stayed pure? Have we kept pure? Have we dwelt with him every day so that we can hide his word in our hearts that we will not sin against God? You push out the junk and you put the word of God in. It's amazing how much more power in your spiritual life you have. When the thoughts come, when the temptations come, <clears throat> I challenge you to do this. Satan, you have no part of me. I have no part of me of you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Take your hands off my life, my heart, my mind, my being. Are we looking for a deliverance day, a D-day for you, for me, for us? You see, I just believe that the more we look toward the D-day, the less we will look away from the D-day for us. If we are truly convinced, if we are truly consumed, if we are truly absolutely sure that Jesus really is going to come back, then we won't want to have an, a life that is not serving him because we do not know the day or the hour Jesus is coming. Not even Jesus, only the Father. Point B is this. They were not restored from sin, but kept, themse kept themselves from sin. They were keeping themselves pure for the bridegroom. Fidelity in relationship to the bridegroom. Fidelity is a powerful word. It means this, staying pure to and with the one you're espoused to and married to. If we are to be the bride of Christ, we are married to Jesus. If we are to stay the bride of Christ, we must stay pure and true in our fidelity in, with, and to him. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not an option. Jesus has no part of allowing people who do not stay true to come in. We go there assuredly on verse 12, I do not know you. I do not know you. Who are we consumed with? Are we consumed with filling this place not because of the numbers, but because of the souls and the people that it matters with? 
When was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? You look in Acts chapter 2 and forward, they could not help but speak what they had seen and experienced and heard. They went out and told everybody around in languages and in, in vernaculars and in dialects and in dialogues and in all that other stuff that we say in the streets, my language, that they would understand. And the people heard in their own language. We do not know absolutely if it's that they spoke that was the miracle or the miracle is that they, the people heard. But how is it that we hear in our own language after the Holy Spirit came on them and gave them the utterance to speak in languages that they know? Languages spoken in some way so that people understand. I do not know where you grew up. I do not know the cultures you know, but you have a language in that culture and that places where I do not have as well. Dr. Robert Sawyer at Mid-American Nazarene College spoke seven languages and nine dialects. Incredible. I'm doing good all I can do to speak hillbilly. English. I do all I can. But at the same time, we are all compelled to speak. Where do our lives go? What do our lives think on that he is not pleased with? Because, ladies and gentlemen, one day Jesus is going to split the eastern skies and that's going to be it. Hallelujah. Take me going. Let's go together. But I hope, I pray, I plead with you. Be ready. Get ready. Stay ready. Point C is this. They had waited only for their bridegroom. There was no other they wanted to be with. They were seeking to see the bridegroom, not only know of him. They were seeking to be with the bridegroom, not only known about him or by him. And ladies and gentlemen, we shall see Jesus just as they saw him. There is no greater promise than this. When he returns in power and glory, we shall see Jesus just as he is. Point D is this. They were busy with preparing their lamps to meet the groom. Their lamps that showed that they were spoken for. Their lamps that were a vessel of, of declaration of whose they wanted to be. And their lamps that became the vessel of identity. And that would become the stumbling of five virgins because they did not keep it full. What's your lamp say about you? What's your life say about you? I want to encourage you. Hold on. Stay true. Stay pure. This can be our D-Day today for someday, not if but when Jesus returns. Point one was the church should be the pure church. Point two is this. The true church must be the expecting church. Another way to look at that is the waiting church. Look at verses two through five. Five of them were foolish. And five were sensible. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take the oil with them, but their sensible ones took oil in their flasks and their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The bridegroom was delayed in his coming. He had not yet been told to go. The father of the groom had not said go. The groom of the bride was waiting for the message from the father. The bride of the groom was waiting for the arrival of the groom. 
but they were still expecting the groom to come and waiting. There was no doubt that the direction was to be given. The journey was to be made, and the bride would see her groom. Wedding day. i got to tell you, when Karen and I got married, June 16, I wanted that funny look from her. 061816. June 18, 061816. Did I get it right? I was there. I just don't... Boy, am I in trouble, Rick. Man, I, I'm, a, I'm a goner. Oh, 061816. Next week, we will celebrate our seven-year anniversary after church going out to lunch. Don't even ask us to go anywhere. We're not available. But i got to tell you, when that bride came down the aisle, wowed us. She was in a beautiful gown. She had bridesmaids over here. I had groomsmen over here. Her father had passed, so her uncle marched her down the aisle. He gave her away, and I took her, and he ain't got her back yet, and he ain't going to. Fidelity, waiting, wandering, expecting. The virgins were waiting, and they all were tired and slept. There is nothing wrong with getting fatigued in your service to Jesus. I hope we all do. The virgins had not given up. They still expected the, the, the groom. The virgins still prepared expectantly and waiting. The virgins had grown physically tired. It is not said that they had not expecting in their hearts, but only that they were tired in the, their bodies because it was night. Interestingly enough, a lot of these weddings happened at midnight to start a brand new day between the groom and the bride. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We all had to show up for a midnight wedding. I've been in two where I've done one of them and I've participated in one. We had to hurry up and get the wedding done on the 31st of December so that there could be a tax break. And the I do's were said and we kept timing it and timing it and he kept looking and said, and then did the I do's and he got done at 11.59. And they were said. And that's when we timed it. It happened at midnight. And the new day was started with a new life, with a new wife, and a new husband. The virgins were waiting. They had their lamps in expectancy and anticipation of his coming. Have we sensed the delay? Have we sensed the fatigue? Have we started to ask, where is he? All this stuff going on, when is he coming? We've held on. We have trusted. We have believed. We have waited, we have expected. Let me encourage you, look around, look up. One day you're going to see the flags of heaven landing on this earth, and we will see Jesus just as he is. Because this can be our D-Day, for someday, for when, not if, Jesus comes back. Point one was this, they had to be the pure church. Point two was this, they had to be the expecting church. Point three is this, they had to be the listening church. Verse five and six, since the groom was delayed, they became drowsy and fell asleep, but in the middle of the night, 
There was a shout, here comes the groom, come out to meet him. Get up, wake up, become part of it. The groom is on his way. He's coming now. The cry came, it was heard, and it awakened those who had been want waited as they were now sleeping. Again, we may get fatigued, we may feel overwhelmed, we may want to know how do we endure this thing, how can we stay faithful. But the things that so easily beset us run with patience to Jesus. Looking unto him, the author, the finisher of the faith. Psalms 1 gives us a wonderful strategy. Psalms 1 gives us a wonderful ability. Psalms 1 gives us a wonderful idea of what to do, how to do, when to do, and that we should do. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Put them away from you in their counsel. Doesn't say don't witness to them, but now make them your friends, your close friends. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. They went from walking to sitting, or standing to sitting. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And now we're part of them. Get rid of all influences. You may find it's important and needful to get rid of the computer. You may find you don't need to be playing games because some of the ads that pops up. You may find that it's just better just to get rid of the influences around you and spend more time in the Word. I will hide His Word in my heart that I will not sin against God. Wash it out. Get rid of it. Deal with it. And God the Holy Spirit will bless it. The cry came and it was heard and there was no doubting about who it was. The groom is coming. Here comes the groom. Are we listening? In Acts 1, 9 through 11, Jesus is there with his, with his disciples. He goes to heaven. The angels uh, turn to the disciples and they say, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you have seen him Go, it will not be questioned, it will not be doubted, it will not be any idea for debate. It will be the same Jesus. All will see, all will know, we will experience, we will know. The thing we do not know, if you, I do not know if you will experience is this. Will you be part of him or will you be locked out? I do not know you. This can be our D-Day. Today. For someday, when, not if, Jesus returns. Point one, we are to be the pure church. Point two, the expecting church. Point three, the listening church. And point four, the true church must be the faithful church. In verses seven to ten, look at it. All the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones said to the sinful ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are gone out. Ladies and gentlemen, your, your relationship with Jesus is not dependent on me. I will do all I can as a pastor and as a Christian and as a believer to share Jesus with you, but that's up to you to walk the life. I will take you in. I will affirm you that you are important. You have an eternal value that the blood of Jesus shed for you. And I will affirm anyone who wants to come to this church, whether they are in Internet land or here in the, in the uh, sanctuary today, and we will affirm you that you are valuable. But my... 
life in Christ is not what you can depend on. You have to have one of your own. And I say that with all love and brokenness. We have far too many people depending on the church service rather than the Christness in them. And I would encourage you, it's time to make a change that so transforms you that you cannot help but be new. The old is gone and the new has come. Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, ladies and gentlemen, this life of setting everything else aside works. All of Hebrews 11, it works. Let us lay aside every weight, every sin that easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It's up to us. We must be faithful. The virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and got rid of all that would easily impede the light. They would trim back anything and everything. They would make sure that anything and everything could not distract and detract from the light that was to come from their lamps to let the groom know we have been faithful, we have been waiting, we are ready, let's go. The implication here is this. Anything, anyone, any influence, any temptation, any struggle is not worth heaven. A lot of addiction counselors will tell you this. Those who have a, a strong problem with or an addiction to any particular sin, and it does not matter, it stimulates the amygdala in the brain and the dopamine receptors. The dopamine is released and it feels good and the amygdala explodes and, and, and increases in size and that's when I feel good. And so we get addicted to feeling good even though we may know it very well that it's wrong. But still Jesus can cleanse even that. This speaks to holiness of heart, purity of heart, that we must have in the filling of the Holy Spirit. The virgins rose to fill their lamps with oil. They knew they had to refill their lamps with oil. The wise not only had their lamps, they refilled their lamps because they brought more. When was the last time you knelt at an altar over a steering wheel, over a dinner table, over a cup of coffee, in a church to say, Jesus, I need another touch. I need a newness. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2 has already happened. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but Acts chapter 4, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came on them and filled them with all boldness again. They decided, the foolish ones, they decided to expect others and depend on others. And it did not end well. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, Jesus tells a parable. He tells about the story of a man whose house came, they went into and they cleaned it clean. Spit shine. Military spit shine. Hospital turnover terminal clean so that all germs are gone. Everything's cleansed. And it's sitting empty. Empty. The demon that was cast out and all the ramifications thereby came back by. 
And he didn't go in. He went and got seven more. And then the end result is that they moved back in and the end was worse than the first. Cleansed, but also filled. This oil, this Holy Spirit in us is holiness with us, indwelling all of us so that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your mind, your thoughts, your contemplations, your eyes, what do we see? Your heart, the things you want or are tempted with. The places you go, the things you do. The people you talk with the most. The virgins rose, but only the faithful were chosen. Depart from me. I do not know you. Matthew 22, verse 14 says this, Many are called, but few are chosen. Those foolish virgins, they missed it. They were not ready. They thought they had done, they had done everything up to that point, but they didn't complete the journey to be ready for whenever the groom came. They would not have oil in their lamp. They could not have their light burning, and they missed it. They missed it. Despite all they had done, all the songs they'd sung, all the words they'd said, all the things that they had accomplished, because they did not stay ready. Are we faithful? Are we full? Are we the true church? Matthew 24, 14 says this, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. There is a song that I think we all know. I know David does because we've sung it. Come, Holy Spirit, I need Thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in Your strength and Your you to think of this. Am I ready? If we were to be driving down the road on the way home today and he were to come, would I make it or would I be left in the car? There's things we can all get better at. There's things that we can all have a higher and greater depth in Jesus about. And there's ways that we can all be recommitted to him. I'm going to encourage you to do that where you're standing, or if you want to come here at the altar, I'm going to invite you to do that as we sing it again. David.
raise your hand and just say, I need to be closer to Jesus to be ready. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as we sing it one more time, and then we're going to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. ask you, dear Jesus, that everyone that is here, even right now, starting with me, makes a recommitment to you. It's not about the tasks we do. It's not about the job we have. It's not about the activities we partake in. It's about the holiness of Jesus in our hearts that dictates what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. There are people who face incredible, incredible issues, yet we still believe greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Lord, as the many hands went up around this sanctuary today, I ask that you would be with each of those people in the way that they need it most. And I pray, Lord, that you would fall on this congregation, in this congregation, with this congregation like you have never done before. And in such a way that they would take note that we have been in and with and stay in and with Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.